Hello, and welcome to episode number 54 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. I'm Rob Attrell, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and yours, Mike Attrell. Today, we also have a very special guest joining us that we've been trying to have on since the space episode of Future Side Chat back in August of last year, Chris Johnson. Every week on this show, we aim to bring you all of the latest uh, and greatest science and tech news. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or tablet. We've got some really fun stuff planned for discussion, but first, Mike, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Chris? Okay, sounds good, Rob. Uh, So Chris and I have known each other probably for at least 16 years um, from the long-gone days of elementary school. Uh, Went to school together, and uh, he's actually now taking law at the University of Calgary, um, so Chris, why don't you tell us a bit about your, your interest in science technology and, and what interests you about, uh, kind of talking about it here today? Well, thanks for the introduction, Mike and Rob. Um, it's great to be here. Um, a little bit about me first, as Mike said, I'm in law school, which means on the science and technology front, it's basically the dark ages. There's lots of paper, <laughs> there's lots of pens, and there's lots of black words on white pages. Um, <laughs> which unfortunately means I don't get to follow science and technology as much as I'd like. So I, this is a great opportunity for me to kind of get back into things and uh, hopefully have some great discussions with you guys about science and technology. Awesome. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other questions for me. It'll, it'll be a good experience. So, Oh, for sure. We're excited to have you here. Yeah. Thank you. I heard you were excited to be on this, like to want to talk about the uh, space on our space episode. So we have some space stories here to talk about. For sure, it'll it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll we'll go into the show now, and we don't have any specific follow up, but we did have a special project that Mike and I did this week. Chris, I'm not sure if you've done this, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um. So Mike and I tried on the Apple Watch this week. I may I tried it on once and visited the Apple Store twice. I made Mike try it on after he. What did you did you sleep through your appointment? What happened? No. <laughs> well, okay. For one, for the record, I didn't. I you didn't convince me to. I wanted to all along. It's just <laughs> I know. Stuff no, kept, I know. Stuff kept getting in the way. So I actually okay. I'll tell you a funny story before getting right into it. So I booked my first appointment for you know mid afternoon over lunch hour. I work came up, so I kind of missed that appointment. Then I booked another one for you know the two days later after work, and you know things got in the way then I booked another one I ended up booking probably my third or fourth appointment before I actually made it in and then when I got in they're like oh so oh you're Mike Attrell I'm like yeah like oh you're supposed to come in like five times before this <laughs> and then I'm like you know I was wondering if anyone actually noticed that I kept booking appointments and not showing up so so you didn't the- you didn't cancel them you just missed no. them it wouldn't let me cancel I think oh. I canceled one it wouldn't let me cancel another but you know the the excitement of me coming in was mutual between myself and the the Apple <laughs> genius that was actually showing me the watch. So it was it was a good experience. Oh, that's that's good. Uh, Chris, did you get a chance to do the try? And are you interested at all in the Apple Watch? No, I, I I haven't had any opportunity yet. I just took a quick look this morning. Actually, um, I guess 
I don't know. I'm not the kind of person who would probably use an Apple Watch. I do. I've really bought into the Apple ecosystem overall. Um, mm-hmm. That's more of a past investment, and kind of once you've invested into it, it's kind of hard to get out. Um, yeah. Which is what I've noticed. I tried. I tried Android for a while, and then too much invested, so <laughs> I had to move back. I'd like to try it out. I'm kind of curious because I, um, I never look at my watch as a watch. So I'm wondering if I get an Apple Watch, will I look at my watch for my phone and my phone for my watch, or right how it's how that's going to work? But usually, you know, what time is it? Just pull out the phone. So right. it'll be interesting. I thought it w- what also would be interesting is um, like I, I have to go to the courthouse a lot, and they're very strict there about no cell phones. And I'm curious how mm-hmm. somebody sitting in the courtroom on an Apple Watch would be treated, because um, if you're in the if you're in the the listening section in the courthouse. And you pull out your phone, you'll have a sheriff there within 10 seconds telling you to either turn it off or get out. Huh. And I'm curious about how they'll have to modify their policy with something like an Apple Watch. Because if, yeah. if you can remotely start your recorder, for example, that'll be something they're going to have to be uh, really careful about. So that, that almost sounds like the hurdles that the Google Glass system kind of overcame or tried to overcome with... Uh, being accepted in bars or just places where recording devices recording, might yeah. not normally be expected or allowed, but there's people that have their prescription glasses hooked up with Google Glass, and they either may not know that they have it or they're being kind of told to take them off or or that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those changing of the times uh, when it comes to technology for sure. Yeah, for yeah, it's going to be lots of changes. Yeah, I've heard schools are having to take steps to get rid of the. Uh, like include wearable devices in there you're not allowed to have this stuff during exams hmm. just because i mean obviously you can feed answers to someone on their watch at this point yeah, yeah. Hmm. so mike why don't you tell us about the appointment with the apple watch you were able to keep <laughs> okay uh so you know i was really really excited to get in there the guy that was kind of assigned to show me around the the different devices um he was very excited and you could tell that he he enjoyed you know kind of playing with the watch and that kind of thing uh you know i i had more technical questions regarding the actual functionality of the watch than the apple employees were actually able to answer because they themselves obviously haven't had any watches yet you know he he was even saying he wished they were given some advanced units to kind of get used to so that they could answer those questions. But he himself, he pre-ordered or ordered, I guess, on the 10th at 9 a.m. And his isn't coming till June. So he's in the same boat as all of us that he's not able to kind of get his watch till the shipments get out. So um, from a tech kind of functionality standpoint, there wasn't a whole lot of insight during the appointment. But from a fashion standpoint, he definitely kind of knew uh, which ones to try on depending on what you're going to use it for and that kind of thing. So I ended up trying on a uh, a stainless steel with the metal links and then I tried on the brush aluminum with the black silicone band and then I tried on a stainless steel with a leather band. Um, and they also tried, yeah, and there were a couple different sizes of the leather bands or different styles. So um I don't know how much how much we want to get into it today, but I, I found that I preferred either the brush aluminum with the silicone or the stainless with the leather. The stainless with the stainless band, it almost clashed with the black bezel right. on the um 
on the watch face a little bit too much. You almost need a darker element to kind of go with that black bezel. I, I found personally, just from a pure aesthetic standpoint. Right. Um, I don't know. How, what did you think of the band and housing combinations, Rob? Uh, well, for me, I knew almost every possible technical detail of the watch, having first seen the event last fall, then having seen the second event this spring, then having read all the reviews that dropped before the pre-orders, and then having heard the try-on impressions, for, or having read the try-on impressions from people, and then having seen them myself. And so I was fully prepared for this. And so the Apple Store employee didn't didn't tell me anything I didn't know. Couldn't I don't think he probably could have told me anything he didn't know. And I actually was able to help him with the pronunciation of floral astomer because <laughs> he could not say it. <laughs> um, but so I tried on five or six different things. I really like the process where you could go into the Apple Store app on your phone and pick favorites. I think you probably do it on the web as well. Mm-hmm. You could pick favorites, and then when you go into the store, they bring up your account, and it actually shows all the ones you want to try on already. Mm. So you, they don't even really have to communicate that. I definitely found that when it comes to watches, I like the darker ones, and I have a heavy watch that I don't really wear very often. It's just sitting in my drawer right now. Uh, and so trying on the steel Apple Watch, the more expensive one, I found it was similar in weight to that, and I didn't really like that very much. I like the I like the sport ones because it basically felt like you weren't even wearing anything. There was no additional weight registered, and I, I definitely like the darker one, the the black one with the black band, yeah. more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. So now the watch that we tried on, at least mine was, it was looped on a demo mode. It yeah, wasn't on. It wasn't on a you know, interactable interface. Um, yeah. But it kind of the idea was to get you to feel the different notifications you might get and different screens you can kind of bring up. For me, I couldn't feel the notifications at all unless it was a consistent either like a ringing or that heartbeat one. But if it was just a little kind of like vibration to show like a message came in, I normally couldn't feel it. If I was doing something, if my arm was just sitting there, then I could feel a notification. But if I was moving around in any sort of way, the notification wasn't strong enough for me to feel Huh. Um, now the rep said that you could adjust the volume and vibration strength, but I don't know if it was already at its max or if it was halfway, I, I'd have to play with it more to kind of feel the different levels. Um, I don't know what, what, how you found that Rob. I thought that it was good. I was, I, from what I've heard, it's totally different from any, from what I had heard. It's totally different from any vibration that you're normally used to with a phone. It's not like having a phone sitting on your wrist and then it vibrates. It's more like a tap on your wrist. And I definitely felt that it wasn't as mind blowing as I was expecting. Like, I don't know that it literally felt like I only felt it a couple of times, obviously through the demo loop, it would have been nice to sort of tap a thing to get, uh, to signal it to vibrate so that you could actually feel exactly what it felt like and not have to wait and wonder when it was going to happen. But, uh, I did try out on the, they had the demo units that you tried on that would just ran loops, but then they had functioning watches that were sort of stuck in the display. Yeah. Yeah. And so I tried that out as well, like sending the heartbeat and, uh, and it seemed interesting. It definitely did seem like a, cause it wasn't like a normal vibration cause it was quiet or at least almost silent. And, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of those kinds of notifications that don't necessarily buzz 
so that even if your phone's not on, uh, like it is on silent and just vibrating, people could still easily hear your phone, but wouldn't be able to hear your watch. Hmm. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. And uh, I, uh, well, we may as well get into this now. I don't, I'm, I'm not buying one right now. I didn't pre-order one. And, uh, so for me, the only, the first time I'm going to get a chance to even test this if I want to is in June when they finally are supposed to arrive in stores and then I'll be able to go in and if I can maybe get one, it would be for the two week trial period. And then I'll have to see maybe later in the fall how, uh, how money works out. <laughs> yeah. What do, yeah, no, what you I'm, think, honestly, I'm in the same boat that, you know, I'm not planning on buying one. I've, I've kind of half been in the market, at least emotionally, I've been in the market for a smartwatch basically since the Pebble came out. Um, and then the Moto 360 kind of was a game changer for uh, aesthetics and, and functionality with the Android Wear interface. So seeing all these new new watches come out, is kind of, it makes it harder to kind of jump in because you're always kind of seeing all the different options and you're not sure which one you want. Um, and yeah, obviously it's a fairly insignificant or non-insignificant price investment. So uh, you want to be sure that, that you're happy with what you're going to get. So I don't know the experience trying the Apple watch is really good. It was a very sturdy, very, it was, it was a piece of jewelry and, and it, it felt that way. And it was, uh, it would be a good investment from a, what you're getting for what you're paying. But um, from a functionality standpoint, obviously I, my iPhone isn't even my primary phone. So, um, I'd probably be more likely to go in with the, one of the Android watches before, before the Apple watch, just purely on what my use habits currently are. Right. Yeah. I mean, for us, there, there are a lot of people in, in the tech world that will buy this just because it's a new Apple product, but we're not in that category. I've ne- I've never owned a first generation Apple product. I've owned almost every second or third generation Apple product at some point. But yeah, so I'm n- I've never been first on to jump on board. And the iPad, for instance, I had had an iPhone and I had had an I- several iPods. But when I saw the first iPad came out, it was the same thing. I was like, I don't think this is quite for me yet, but at some point it'll probably be indispensable. And now here we are five years later yeah. and I use it for multiple hours every day. Chris, you mentioned that you're that you had been invested or are invested in the Apple ecosystem. Can you elaborate a bit on that specific uh, devices or or uh, services? Um, I have had I have an iPad, and I have had just about one of every sized iPhone. Every time they've changed the size, I've had one of those <laughs> since it first came out. I just didn't have the original iPhone, but a lot of that was due to moving overseas and having the opportunity to buy new phones out of necessity um but yeah i i could take a picture of it i have i can line them all up on the table and see as they grow all the way to the six plus that i have now um mainly i just i just like i'm pretty i have really poor vision so it's nice for me to get a bigger screen right um which is why i've kind of always got a bigger phone as they've increased in size but fortunately that's not the way it's working with the scaling on the iphone six plus but I don't know if this is a news item today, but there's an article that I read that was saying that Apple Pay is due to be released in the fall in Canada. Um, it's, in so our, it's in our notes. It's in the notes. Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I guess, well, I'll mention it now. So yeah. having this 6 Plus, you, you are able to use Apple Pay then, Chris. 
Am I? If, yeah. Yep. When, once it comes once out, it you'll comes be able out. to come okay. set up an Apple Pay account and use your passbook and all that kind of stuff. So apparently they're in discussion with the major Canadian banks, uh, CIBC, TD, Royal Bank. Um, I think Scotia too, maybe. The, the big six is what they call them. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, they're kind of working through all the security stuff and the kind of interface that it'll work with, but it's scheduled to be released at some point and they're targeting the fall right now. So schedule to come out at some point. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's on the dock. It's just a matter of time. Basically. So basically we can just get into this now. Like we'll transition from Apple yeah. to Apple. Uh, so basically what happens, what, what's happening is Apple pay came out in the States. A bunch of banks were caught really unprepared for the transition to, to like NFC in Canada, NFC is, uh, on a sliding scale, pretty insecure. Like, you don't need any sort of authentication. You just tap the card. Uh, up to a dollar limit. Up to, yeah, like 50 it's bucks like 50 or something. Bucks, I yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what they're saying is that in Canada, all the banks are pretty worried about Apple Pay because of all these concerns, because their security might not be up to par to match. And there's a lot of there's a lot of credit card fraud going on in the States that has... That people are they're they're using banks' insecure payment or authentication methods to commit fraud using Apple Pay, but Apple Pay itself isn't insecure. It's the bank's verification that's not secure. Okay. But that is causing banks in Canada to to think, well, maybe we shouldn't do this because it means that suddenly there's going to be all this bad press if credit card fraud starts happening in Canada because of this because of Apple Pay. Whereas really, if they just stepped up their security to match Apple's level of authentication, there wouldn't be any problem. Like Apple Pay itself is really secure, but it depends on banks having the proper security in place too. And so I think they're they're happy with the status quo, the bank, the banks in Canada, and introducing this new thing is a whole other level of uncertainty that they're just not prepared to to do quickly and they're mm-hmm. happy to just sort of tread along. Yeah. Now, to to be clear, this is not like we don't experience credit card fraud already, as yeah. we've seen with Home Depot and I don't. Home Depot is the most recent one I can think of, but it's uh, there's security vulnerabilities everywhere. That um, I think this is probably more kind of half technophobia, but also just due diligence as well. So I can appreciate why they're kind of making sure that they've crossed their T's and dotted their eyes when when it comes to security but um i think like you said it's it's not even the apple pay that's insecure it's just the methodology that the banks are handling that actual transaction so yeah i uh my my line has been <laughs> banks are fighting this because of the appearance of possible fraud not the actual fraud itself because the the hacks like have happened to target and home depot and and thousands of other companies in the last several years would be completely avoided if they all use if everyone used apple pay those problems wouldn't happen you couldn't steal a credit card number because they all use one time numbers um but it's the other kinds of fraud like adding a you can add a card to your if you steal a if you steal someone's physical credit card or their credit card number you can add that credit card that's now fraudulent to apple pay and pay with it and you can pay securely with that fake number, but it's up to the bank to verify that the number you're adding is actually yours, and they're the ones not doing that. Mm. 
So in a way, it is making it easier to pay with a fraudulent card, but you're paying securely with this fraudulent card. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'll definitely be watching out for that. I'm really... One of the main reasons that I would want to get an Apple Watch is paying with it because I have, like, I, I admit that it's fully my fault. I've made videos about it in the past, but Touch ID for me, which is the main enabler of Apple Pay, like you have to pay with your thumbprint, is not, like, my thumbprint doesn't really work that well on Touch ID. And and I have various theories why, but nothing nothing solid. But with Apple Pay, your authentication is, like, is the fact that you have to sign in once on your watch and then when it while it's attached to your body while the sensors are reading a heartbeat you are authenticated as yourself so you can just pay with the watch whenever you want which i think is really mm. cool and eliminates the need for fingerprint authentication all the time mm. so chris would you see yourself using apple pay more than say like a tap nfc credit card and do you see any benefits to apple pay versus that other than the like what what Rob just said there with the security, I don't see any real benefit. It, I can already buy everything I want within ten seconds anyway. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm not somebody who likes to leave their wallet at home and would ever leave their cards at home anyway. So, I I don't really see a benefit to it. But it give me a year and a half, and probably I'll be using it. <laughs> so it and yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I think now I'm at the point now where when a, company doesn't have nfc in his chip i'm like oh yeah an extra well, that's 10 seconds exactly. are you kidding me like but before ships like wow this is amazing you don't have to swipe don't have to sign but so it's kind of yeah i think once apple pay starts becoming more or just paying with wearables becomes more widely uh, accepted and implemented you're going to start seeing that as kind of you know save your that five seconds just tap your wearable versus pulling out your card but you know everyone says you know while you're waiting in the line you can have your card ready and all this kind of stuff so it's in practicality you're probably not saving a ton of time but it's just fun and cool to use technology for that purpose i think yeah yeah and it's it's a it's a function of if the places you use are going to accept it or not and like it's well it's the same exactly the same with tap yeah and if Everywhere that I go starts using Apple Pay. Well, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about that, on that note, is that carriers in Canada, you, if you have an American credit card with an iPhone, you can tap to pay. You can pay with Apple Pay in Canada. It's just Canadian banks' credit cards that don't support it. Hmm. So, like, if you see an NFC terminal you can pay with an app with apple pay it's the same authentication method Mm. but it's just the banks Interesting. (laughs) all right i think we're done with apple for now we'll we'll move on to to our massive space segment (laughs) uh and mike why don't we start with you what uh what's going on with nasa's curiosity so it sounds like curiosity has found evidence of liquid water on Mars. Um, this has been theorized or expected in some way, I guess, that it, it seems like the kind of planet that would have had liquid water or even surface water at some point, but now has maybe not surface water, but at least liquid water uh, within the planet. Now, whenever I heard that dis- that term liquid water, I always imagined like these massive underground lakes that they kind of like <laughs> drill into and you get like, it's like, yeah, we found yeah. it. <laughs> 
And then I, I then I read this headline, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I read, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like slightly moist sand. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's not that exciting. But it's it, they describe it as a saline brine that because of the saline uh, quality of it, it's able to withstand the lower temperatures and stay liquid. Um, and again, it's within the ground itself. So it's just darker sand that has moisture. Um, but it's, the point is that it's not frost or ice. So uh, this was one of the things that they were looking for. And, and it's kind of one of those ingredients for either life or having the capability for life. Um, but they're quick to qualify that with it's not the only ingredient. So there's a lot of other puzzle pieces that have to be kind of fit into place to kind of find life or have been able to say this used to have life. Um, yeah. So... Um, yeah, I know it's it's cool to see that this little little guy curiosity has been still kind of working hard and and making progress. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know, Chris. Were you had you been following the curiosity I ha- mission? I haven't been following curiosity at all, actually. Okay. Um, I guess the first thing that pops to my mind when I read this story is, um, do, do you guys remember if curiosity was sterile or not? I've always been. Wondering that I th- recently. I think in theory it should have been. Okay. To a high level of certainty, yes. I think they, they sterilized it. Whether it was sterile after being sterilized is another question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, I think – I don't know, I get all these programs mixed up, but I know there's one story a while back where they found something but then realized it was actually coming from the spacecraft itself – I, I I don't know, it's really foggy in my memory, but that, that sounds familiar that they're like, oh, well, that should have been sterile or, or whatever. But Or there's one part that was added after the fact that wasn't sterilized. I can't remember. But I think they there, there's fairly good control over what should and shouldn't be expected to be found there, and they can kind of rule it out as coming from the spacecraft itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to see this, like all this research, it, and again, I wasn't alive when the space program first launched, but it seems like we're getting more and more. Not only are we getting more information at a faster pace to, like, to the public, but it also seems like just the the technology that is in space and is on other planets is becoming more advanced. Because like when we first went to the moon, we were going on these like like an Atari, basically. And now we're starting to have missions that are arriving at foreign bodies that have all these advanced sensors. They have like a lot faster computers. They have um, the ability to transmit. I mean, obviously the speed of light is still a limiting factor, but they have the ability to transmit a lot more reliably. And I think we're getting, we're starting to get missions that have a lot more life in them. Like this, they're still cutting the, the total mission or the expected mission length they're really sort of underestimating saying, okay, well this mission is going to last 60 days. And then the, the rovers end up on, on Mars or on the moon for years collecting data way longer than they were ever expected to. I I just really like seeing like this happened recently and we're already hearing about it. They've already processed the data. They've already said, okay, there's water and it's getting out to the public faster. And I think that that pushes uh, science into the public eye a lot better than it used to. Mm-hmm. It's getting people interested in it. This yeah. is, is they're making it accessible for just whoever to get interested in it and excited about it. Um, 
you know, that XKCD comic on, was it Curiosity? Filet? Was that? Filet. Oh, Rosetta? right. Oh, it was Rosetta. Yeah, it was a Rosetta landing. Yeah. And, uh, they, uh, yeah, they, they landed that probe on there and it was a whole kind of fun little take on it, but it, it gives, it makes space exploration accessible to, to, to anyone to kind of get interested in. So, yeah. This, this kind of disappointed me hearing about the liquid water when I, when you read that it's, it's actually just because there's so much salt, I, I guess it, it's fine. And that's what you'd expect because Mars is a lot colder than earth. So you're not going to. It's not going to be at zero for a long mm-hmm. periods of time. Yeah. Um, but it still kind of made me sad to be like, it's not, it's not water, but it is something that if we did have a uh, manned mission to Mars, that they could extract water from the soil. So it is, it's still good in terms of our mission, like actually having people staying alive on Mars, off of Mars, like living off of Mars. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not it's not what you expect. Like Mike, like you said, it's not a giant underground lake. Yeah, not yet. They haven't found that yet. <laughs> right, it's, it's there somewhere, probably. I think they've actually theorized that on some. I think it's moons. There might be layers of ice or water that could be utilized. Yeah. Um. So that those types of things do exist, but it's not not here, not on a right. rocky planet like Mars. Uh, okay. So next space story. This is one that, this is literally just a link to a tweet that I put in the notes. Um, but I wanted to have a bigger conversation about what Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX. So we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, Elon Musk is very publicly trying and so far failing to land a rocket to first to launch a rocket into space and then to land it back down intact on a barge in the middle of the ocean and uh so he's at the point they're at the point now in the last week where the latest mission did ever it 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 launched its payload into space released it so that it could get to the iss and then came back down found the barge in the middle or like directed itself to the barge in the middle of the ocean landed pretty softly on the barge (laughs) in the middle of the ocean (laughs) itself and then hit kind of like we've all played or at least many of us have played that game where you're trying to land on on uh i guess it's the moon or some some planet with a little lander yeah we have to try to balance out whether you're moving laterally whether you're moving up and down at the right speed and trying to slow your descent this thing was just slightly off course and ended up crashing uh unsavably and i guess it looked like from the video that i saw uh, on the barge itself that it ended up exploding when it crashed, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it landed it so pretty. gently and then tipped over and blew up. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> we're getting so close, it's, but I really like how Elon is doing this. He's doing it so publicly and so visibly that even though it's failures, he's like, we're getting closer and closer. We're going to nail this and you're going to see it in HD and it's going to be awesome. And that's going to be the next generation of that's going to be how we, fly cheaply because we're not going to have to rebuild a spaceship every time we want to go out. Yeah. Yeah. Until we can nail down the space elevator design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What, what did you got? You guys have been, uh, I know Mike, you've been following this. Chris, have you been following the, the SpaceX Falcon launches at all? I have been following it a little bit. I, 
my my main comment was very similar to you. It's just so impressive how open they're being about this and being able to watch the failures in high definition yeah. right after they occur. Just that level of openness, and it's exciting because it makes you feel like you're part of something, even though you're not. But yeah. <laughs> you know, you can you can really uh, feel part of this, and I think it's it's going it's going to make space feel more accessible to the average person. It, it's something we need to get the younger generations interested in space again. Yeah. And between the the probes that are doing what they're doing, uh, Curiosity, and also this week uh, we got the photo of Pluto and Charon there, yeah, um, from New Horizons. Um, and with SpaceX doing what they're doing, it's just making it more accessible again. With, with all these failures and like, you know, I don't know if it was from Elon himself or just people saying, you guys realize it's really, really hard to land a rocket on a barge, right? Like people <laughs> are like, well, like, what do you mean it blew off? Like, what do you uh, like? And there's like, guys, this is like hard. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, that's what science is, is like failures until you kind of tweak it enough that it works and works reliably. Mm-hmm you know, consistently enough, right? So, yeah, it's you're seeing science at work with all this, and it's, I don't know, Elon's got, you know, that personality and that just accessibility to the younger generation and is kind of very, uh, yeah, makes is doing really good things for science for sure. Yeah. It's no coincidence that Iron Man is becoming prominent again in pop culture yeah. just as a guy like Elon Musk who has all this money and who has all of this <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at his at his Twitter account right now. His profile picture is literally just I don't even know if it's him, but like holding a cat like a like Dr. Evil. <laughs> All you, he's he he's behaving like a really really nice supervillain. Like what he's doing. He's doing all this really really cool stuff, but he actually is trying to help the world. I just think it's yeah. it's so awesome. <laughs> oh. Is uh is is anyone else anyone else anything else they want to say on uh, Falcon Nine? Just good luck in the future, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping our our eye out. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you, there's another so one more NASA story here in our space segment. Yeah. So, just kind of on the same vein of colonizing Mars and space exploration, um, that NASA's kind of come out and said, you know, hey guys, we're still relevant. Uh, you know, SpaceX is doing cool stuff, but you know, they don't got what we got kind of thing. <laughs> and I don't know how accurate that is because, I don't know, SpaceX is doing some pretty impressive stuff, but NASA feels that they've invested enough time and, and have the kind of experience to get to Mars and put humans on Mars before private space exploration is going to. Um, the article that I read regarding this, it didn't, the, the gentleman making these claims wasn't really putting any sort of... Uh, kind of evidence towards supporting that claim but either way i guess that's what they feel that they're not going to be able to do unless they work with nasa at least mm-hmm. um so my question to you guys is is nasa still relevant with spacex doing what they're doing and um richard branson doing what he's doing and all that kind of stuff um is is nasa still the future of space exploration yes i think certainly they're a large part of the future of space exploration. Um, there's no way I don't. I don't think we're going to be making NASA entirely irrelevant anytime soon. Um, I, I some somebody a long time ago said space is hard. I, I, I forget <laughs> who said that, but and you know it's obvious space is hard. 
And the low Earth orbit stuff is obviously going to be passing into the realm of the private private mm-hmm. companies if it not if it hasn't already. Yeah. Um, and I mean in the sense that human spaceflight into low Earth orbit will be passing along mm. to the private companies. But for the long long distance with uh, exploring the solar system, I think NASA is still relevant. So I, I've, I've read this before, and I think it might be kind of a comment, not a misconception, but like SpaceX is working with NASA. Mm-hmm. Like they have contracts to like they're delivering stuff to the International Space Station there. It's not like there's a battle of who's going to win space between NASA and these companies like Virgin Galactic and SpaceX. They're they're hugely working together and they're all trying to, to do this. And like NASA was quoted as saying, uh, what was it? Um, you're not going to make it to Mars without NASA. Like, work with us. And that's like one of the things that uh, SpaceX is doing is working with NASA. If they do make it, it will be with NASA's help and NASA's expertise, their experience and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a matter of teamwork, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. I think it's just NASA's not doing like the popular, sexy, headline-grabbing stuff that SpaceX is doing. It's, yeah. you know, they don't have that front forefront personality to kind of promote them and and that kind of stuff so i think they're just trying to say you know we're in the background too um and you know the government needs to realize that too and kind of put more money into kind of keeping them going as well because they can't be forgotten either so um we'll see if that does become a topic in the u.s election coming up here um and if uh if space exploration does become one of those uh party platforms that might be worth paying attention to yeah, yeah. I, I, I think NASA, like as Rob said, this this is a partnership. It's it's obviously a partnership, and NASA's timeline on their current, their I guess new generation space exploration, is so stretched out and it's so long. And what's giving them the opportunity to do that is that SpaceX and the private companies are taking over the light lifting, so to speak, right. in yeah. low Earth orbit. And as long as NASA keeps to their timeline, the what they're doing is going to start getting really sexy really fast if they can keep hitting their milestones. Um, and it's it's I, I think NASA's doing actually a better job than they were of keeping relevant. Like the Orion test flight, I really liked how they they did that. They they're making it more exciting and. If they can keep that up and they can keep hitting their milestones and keep themselves in the news, I think these kind this kind of story is is going to be irrelevant. Is Neil deGrasse Tyson is he a NASA guy or no? I don't believe so. He works for the Museum of Natural History, but okay. he he definitely at least consults with them in some form, whether yeah. it's whether it's directly on current projects or whether it's just – I know I, I'm certain he works with NASA on various projects, but it's probably more on the outreach or the mm-hmm. PR side of things. Yeah. I know Phil Plate does a similar thing. He kind of champions NASA's contributions and says, you know, we need that government, the federal investment in space exploration. So I think they've got they've got people kind of fighting for them, but they just need to be in the news a bit more and kind of show what they're doing and – and that kind of yeah. thing. So, well, 
I would assume, and I, I, don't, I have no information to back this up. We need like, a, I don't know, is it Jimmy Kimmel that does like on the street pieces? Uh, or is it just everybody that does that? And I've just A lot of people him. do, but yeah. Okay. Um, I, I would want to like ask, I would imagine, I would put money on the fact that if you asked, asked around on the street, hey, did you, did you hear about that uh, guy that, or the rocket ship that almost landed on the barge? People would think that was NASA. They wouldn't associate it with a private company. They would think, okay, they, well, maybe yeah. there's some contribution from a private company, but they would say, oh yeah, that NASA project that almost worked. Right. Because they assume NASA or anything space is NASA. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. I'm, uh, I am super excited about Mars. I know if we've talked about this before with the whole Mars one mission and trying to get people to go, but I would so go to Mars. Like, <laughs> I'd go to Mars so fast. <laughs> uh, okay. So Mike, you have a story here now. We'll, we'll leave space behind. Um, and I, I'm going to let you talk about this, even though I, I don't, I don't know how you're going to relate this to science or technology, but I want to talk about it anyways. And I think we probably can do that. Okay. Uh, so, as everyone should know by now, um, the presidential election is coming up. The U- United States pres- presidential election is coming up next year. Um, I had previously incorrectly stated that it was this year, but it, it feels like it should be this year based on how much news we're hearing about yeah. it. Um, so, we have a couple presidential primary candidates, uh, or party candidates, I guess, coming up. Um, that Hillary Clinton being kind of the more prominent one. And then you have, mm-hmm. I think, Rubio. And I can't remember if Cruz did Ted I think Cruz, Ted Cruz, Cruz did declared. Yeah. yeah. So I think those are the only three. Oh, no, Jeb Bush, too. Yeah. Um, I'm not but, sure if Jeb Bush is officially declared yet, but he's definitely he's going to run. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he's talked okay. about it, but maybe not officially announced it. <laughs> okay. One of so, those. Anyway, Hillary Clinton has been kind of in my news feed for way too long already. <laughs> And apparently other people feel the same way because I guess she did a tour bus stop at a Chipotle. Uh, for those who don't know, it's similar to – well, not similar to, but they do Tex-Mex type food. Um, actually, it's not Tex-Mex, I don't think. it's. I think it's California Mex. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they're owned by McDonald's. They do burritos in the States. They're owned um, by McDonald's? Yeah. Really? What? Yeah. This is the biggest piece of news <laughs> of the week. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're, All right, they're sorry, at least partly owned. They're at least partly owned by McDonald's. They they may oh. be wholly owned, but anyway, she stopped at this this Chipotle, um, ordered a burrito, and there were tons of news pieces written about anything from you know what she ordered to did she leave a tip to how she interacted with the people and oh she's eating Chipotle not at a fancy restaurant oh she was escorted by her personal security whatever, and it's like. You, you wouldn't see that kind of news unless we had the internet of today where you had people blogging every 15 minutes about whatever because these uh, news sites need to keep their feeds fresh with content and have headline-grabbing content, and they'll look for anything. And clearly, Hillary Clinton stopping at a Chipotle is enough to warrant every single you know tech, even tech news, but just internet news site mm-hmm. talking about it. Now... My question to you two, since Rob, you asked why I'm even bringing this up, is <laughs> is our current internet news cycle, Is are you happy with it, with the types of news we're seeing? <laughs> and is it beneficial to humanity as a whole? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. No? <laughs> I think I'd, it's kind of like dumb. To, uh, I'd like to do a 
I'd like to see a chart of how big the font size has increased on the <laughs> front pages of news websites since 2011 or 2001. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, because I remember I think on on the day of September 11th that was like the first time they ever made like about size 32 font mm-hmm. on the on the front of the news website. And now, you know, Hillary gets a burrito is probably at what 72. Yeah, it's pretty on the, probably close on the front to page there. of Fox News or CNN. Yeah. Yeah. Now, since 2001, it's not just CNN and NBC and Fox that are putting out news. It's you have, you know, sites like The Verge or Wired or Engadget or any of those uh, more tech sites. They'll actually pick up stories like this and run them because, again, they grab headlines because that's Hillary Clinton in the name. And it's tangentially related to tech. Or just like pretty much every tech blog now has become semi politically influenced with its stories and what it's reporting on that kind of thing, uh, whether it's national security with NSA and that kind of stuff, or um, you know net neutrality is even politically charged. Um, all this kind of stuff kind of overlaps into tech news, so that's kind of why um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that news cycle and if it's. Like, are they kind of stretching too much looking for these types of stories to run? Uh, to me, the worst part about it isn't the fact that they run this story. It's the fact that one news organization or, or blog or whatever you want to call it, one sort of internet company will find a story, run it, and then every other one has to also cover that same story. But it's not 100%. So... I end up in my RSS, I end up having to subscribe to like 15 different things if I want to, if I want to see every story, but it also means I get 10 to 12 duplicates of the big ones. Yeah. And I, I, I hate that, but I don't know that there's, there's an easy solution because everyone wants to make money. Obviously people, there are a lot more writers than news stories. So yeah, yeah, I don't know what the good solution is, but the, the medium is. There, there's times where I'll go to a news story and then I'll read through it. I'm like, that doesn't sound like it's super elaborate. Then I'll scroll to the bottom like, oh, it's via this other site. So yeah. I'll click that link, read through that, get to the bottom, oh, via this site. And I'll like <laughs> click through like three or four trackbacks and I get to the actual original story, which actually yeah. has enough information to kind of satisfy what I want to know about it. But yeah, like you said, every news site kind of picks it up from each other. And by the end, you're getting this super watered down because they, they can't just rip off the entire story. So yeah. They have to leave some stuff out. So I don't know. It's I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> well, a, a lot of tech blogs that I frequent, well, like they're they're sort of personal blogs that will cherry pick stories, and basically they'll include a link to the story, and then a little paragraph of their own analysis of that story. But they're not like they're not regurgitating the information from it. Okay. They're literally just adding their own analysis. I, I think that's the best way to do it. But obviously, that doesn't people. What people don't want, what these news organizations themselves don't want, is they don't want someone going to to their website for ten seconds to read this little analysis and then clicking through to read the whole story somewhere else. They want to keep them on their site. Right. <sighs> yeah. Um, I have some follow-up in real time here on Chipotle. Okay. Um, purchase the majority stake of McDonald's was bought by Chipotle, or McDonald majority stake of Chipotle was bought by McDonald's in 2001, 
And in 2000, I guess it's 2008, they sold it off. So it was about eight years total that they were majority owners, but now they are no longer connected. McDonald's isn't? No, and Chipotle oh. works hard to downplay the connection that did exist. They oh. said they're trying to say like we brought this up from, like we started from the bottom and we're here. Not <laughs> McDonald's bought us <laughs> and brought us up, but we don't apparently they're not connected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hmm, interesting. But it definitely was for eight yeah. years. Okay, which, was, which is unbelievable to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this the news thing the the news media and the presidential elections being so i mean they're already the the process itself with the the primaries and the uh, national conventions it already has this massive lead time and it it dovetails perfectly like there's there's two years or three years or even like almost four years between presidential cycles and the, the the political media needs something to talk about that whole time because otherwise they're if they can't justify their own existence they're going to get shut down. Yeah. So they're what you end up with is uh, like I watched the Daily Show and the the moment of Zen one of the moments of Zen this week was like you saw Hillary's car going around a corner disappearing to go somewhere on on the campaign trail and like there was just a horde of 150 or 200 uh, cameramen and reporters running after it <laughs> with, <laughs> with big bags and cameras it's just it's, it's so weird because she's not doing anything she's not like on a campaign stop yeah it's not political news it's just like hey there's a it's picture paparazzi. of Hillary clinton that's that's what it is it's paparazzi yeah <laughs> essentially like even for the alberta election we got a month of lead time chris i think like i don't from, know the elect- from the, the, when it was called to when the election is yeah like or the election days yeah like it's in two weeks the election and it's like wow that's like no time <laughs> yeah and then it's like i don't know i don't know if that's better or i don't know it's different i guess but that's all goes my mind yeah it's it's basically the weirdest thing i can think of yeah. okay um i'm gonna switch gears here and go back to some some solid tech and maybe we can talk mike and i have have talked probably in public but mostly i think in private about how everyday people don't get technology and aren't don't have their ear to the ground in technology as much as we do um and so i just wanted to if this is almost a psa really because (laughs) uh we've talked about dropbox before we've we've done episodes on cloud storage and uh we've obviously talked about microsoft office at least casually Mm -hmm. um so there's news this week that Dropbox now allows you to edit documents, uh, Microsoft Office documents online natively. And uh, the fact that this is news makes me kind of sad because you've been able to do that with Microsoft Office documents for a while. The only new part is the Dropbox part. And uh, isn't that what the news was? Well, that's what the news was. But people are like, wow, like I, I, I haven't actually talked to anyone that does this, but like there are going to be Dropbox users who are going to open this up and say, wow, I didn't know you could edit Microsoft Office documents online. I thought you had to do it through Word or through Excel or through PowerPoint. But you've been able to go to uh, office.com and edit any Office document online. All you need is a Microsoft account for 
oh, it's been at least a couple of years. And I've been trying to tell everyone this as, as I go, that Google Drive and Google Docs are not the only way to word process online. Uh, because Google Docs is great for like if, for taking notes and collaborating with people. But in an official business setting, in a formal setting, Microsoft Word is the accepted format for word processor. And you have been able to make almost any edit online on, in Microsoft Word, uh, Excel, and PowerPoint for a really long time and, and sync the changes to your desktop version of, of Office. And so, I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall every time something like this happens because I, I go so far out of my way to tell people there's a better way to do this thing and it's online yeah. and it's it's really easy to collaborate. Like, I work for the government, so we're obviously behind on technology. Like, out of necessity with the whole enterprise issue and security and all of this, we're obviously behind. But I just, I keep trying to say, if we just move to this, the, the enterprise system we have for file management in the government is so slow. It's so bad. It's so hard to use with other people that it's almost not worth collaborating at all on documents. And <clears throat> if we just updated our Microsoft Office experience and started using, for instance, OneDrive and all the enterprise security they offer, everything would get so much easier. You could share files with people and edit them all like all together in real time as opposed to the system we have now where one person opens a file and it locks that file down completely until that file is closed. And if that person yeah. opens the file and then goes on vacation for a week, yeah. people can only access that file as read only. They can't, yeah. they can't do anything with it. I just, I hate yeah. how tied down it is, even though the future is already here and has been for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I have two stories. So for one, our, yeah, our work does a similar, like we have a server that, everyone accesses and like you said if someone's in a file then you can't do anything with it it's read only so we have you know often you're trying to explain to someone what to do with a file like how to edit something or how you want it to look so then you have your own read only copy open and then they open up the actual editable one and you're trying to walk them through and say okay go up to file go up and do this go and do this okay make the table like this you're trying to walk them through looking at that file and they're trying to do it on their end. It's like, this is yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, so it'd be so much easier if it's all just cloud-based and you're literally live editing it and just, you're both in it and you both see what's happening as you're doing it. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, you know, in my Toastmasters group, we were going to send out a survey or we did send out a survey, but the guy who's going to do it, he originally was going to print off. He made a Word document. He was going to print it off, get people to fill it out by hand, bring it back, put it into an Excel spreadsheet to tabulate the results. And I'm like, hey, they have Google Forms now where you can just create the form, send it out as a link, and the Excel spreadsheet or the, the spreadsheet itself, the Google spreadsheet, automatically populates as people submit answers. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, it's like, yeah, that's it's what they have now. Like <laughs> may as well use yeah. it. Right. But it's like, you have to, yeah, you have to educate and it's, it really is a PSA. It's like, Hey, there's easier ways to do this. Yeah. Uh, and I'm <clears throat> eventually I'm going to write about this. I mean, burying it an hour into a podcast is not the best kind of PSA, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just, it, it's frustrating. Uh, Chris, maybe you could give us some insight into how the legal system works. Like I assume you guys still use facts a lot. Yeah, we um, still use facts a lot. Yeah. Um, 
basically, like for me, any like I, I lived overseas. I lived in Japan for three years, and that might be a good topic for another for another podcast. Actually, yeah, for kind sure. The, yeah. The, well, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Japan is like, um, and in a lot of ways, they for everyday life, the technology you're using is really really antiquated. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I was there over there for three years, and then I came back into law. So I'm I'm one of those people now that you guys are talking about. I have no <laughs> idea what uh, what a lot of the things is, and I need to be educated. Like I used to follow this stuff, and it's just it's changed so much. There's so much more you can do now. Yeah. But a lot of times you just don't know it's there, and just you know you're in a hurry trying to get something done, and mm-hmm. you end up spending twice as much time on it because you don't know there's this there's this new thing. Um, about the legal system specifically, um, from what I've seen is. Like, for example, legal research is dominated by private companies, mostly private companies, I believe. And there's it's very specialized. Um, and they have their own interface, and the companies and the schools pay a lot of money in order to be able to search through that interface. Mm-hmm. Um, that is they, – they have their own little universe there, and it's – getting better from what i've seen even just throughout this year they've really upgraded the interface for legal research a lot um by upgrade i mean it doesn't look like it's from 1995 right which is how which is (laughs) what it would have looked like a year or two ago Uh um otherwise there's a lot of issues with privacy and there's a lot of misconceptions about security out there and that has made the legal profession i think really avoid using computers and using technology to the same extent that other industries might use it. Um, There's definitely a lot of, uh, there seems to be a lot of people who don't want to, any, any improvements in technology. (laughs) So um, we had a huge, I wouldn't, I won't call it a fight. There was a discussion about upgrading the computer systems from about 20 years old. Uh, computers that are about 20 years old and getting Dropbox and getting these things. And there was a lot of pushback, but, you know, it's changing mostly because the people in law school now grew up in the... We we learned computers in the late 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that I think, is the, the demographic that is most skilled with using computers. Um, better than the older people and better than the younger people. Yeah. Right. No, um, I agree. So that's that's the people now who are in law school and trying to drive some of these changes, but yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be a slow go, and it's not gonna be it's not gonna go into the like the courts are not gonna accept this easily, yeah. right? So I'm actually I'm actually sad about that. Like when I when I learned computers, you know, as a kid in elementary school and growing up, I'm like, wow, the the kids like in the next generation are gonna be like so good at computers, and it's like it's it's too easy now. It's like, too easy. It's yep. changed, yeah. And it's changed too much that it's not even the same thing anymore. And it's, I don't know, it's like, it's it's crazy. Like, no yeah. one uses desktops anymore. It's right. all, like, apps. And it's all just, it's different. People aren't if, used to using desktops anymore. If something requires anything other than plugging it in and pressing go, <laughs> it's quite difficult for a lot of people now to do it. It's not like it used to be where... Setting something up required you to go in there and configure it. Yeah. Um, well, I've I've talked told Rob about it, how like my company, as with a lot of companies, they have either their own IT department or a third party IT company yeah. that 
just kind of a standard company protocol, anything that needs to be done with the computer, you get the IT guy to do it because they don't want you kind of messing with settings or installing things just for consistency so that the one guy knows what all the computers need done to them. So I've myself, like when something comes up, like I could, you know, research how to do it or just get used to doing it myself. But it's like, I'm so used to just calling up, you know, the IT guy that it's like, I feel semi helpless myself when like, you know, I have to kind of troubleshoot something on my computer. And it's like, part of me is like, well, I shouldn't be doing it myself. And another part is like, well, I'm just not used to doing it anymore. Like I was more familiar with doing that when I was 13 than how I am now. Yes. You know what? I just, this just occurred to me that I might try when I eventually have kids, get them like, I almost want to say get them Windows 95 to start, but get them like, get them a a netbook or something with Linux on it. So they have to get their hands dirty with computers before realizing that there are ways to make things easier. Like me growing up with the command line is so beneficial to me in the world of computers. Like now I know that yes, I love having the ability to just open a a window and, and search, like click on a folder to open a file. But having the ability to go in to the command line and change things around and and navigate through it, uh, it it just seems so much more useful than having a basic understanding or like being able to use an iPad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good base to to grow on. That's. Hmm. I think that's why that. it's important we we try to have our kids learn coding and programming as much as possible, like even just basic like logic and loops and that kind of thing. It doesn't be like C, you know, visual object based programming, just simple, like logic. If then nested loops, all that kind of stuff that that is really good to know. And it's applicable in like lots of math and science, even if you're not directly programming, it's like, okay, I want to do this, but if I do that, I have to take these variables into account and all that kind of stuff. And it all kind of ties together. So, and Yeah. yeah, like, you know, the computers are a really good way to kind of get used to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess there's one more story here and then we'll wrap it up. Mike, uh, you got some, some bad news for Google. <laughs> I don't know if it's bad news. It's just not a Relatively. good news. It's not good news. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, well, the EU, I guess, is deciding that they're going to press uh, a lawsuit or charges or something. I guess they're, Either way, they're they're alleging that Google's being too monopolistic in their search results, um, which to me is the most like backwards thinking. It's like like we're using your software, your product, but you're favoring your product too much. It's like yeah. So the the whole thing is that you'll search for say like you know blue jeans, and then it will prioritize uh, either its own ads or that kind of thing. Like it's, it prioritizes them to make them money because it's their product. So it's like, why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess the EU is saying, well, they want a fair and balanced representation of what's available for that product, not what's the best available within Google's ads or listings or eBay or whatever. Like, I don't know the details of examples, but the whole thing is that Google is prioritizing their own ads too much on their own service. Yeah. So I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on, on that practice? Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? I have some stuff to say, but 
Go ahead. I, I don't have too many thoughts. Sorry, I haven't had much of a chance that's, to look that's at the story. Um, maybe go ahead first, and if I if anything pops up, I can. Sure. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> this week I heard, and I, I assume it was in reference to this this specific news, but people saying that they've been saying for a while, and, and Google actually started putting having to put competitors' ads in their in their shopping results uh, instead of just their own, and. They made the comparison in the story I was reading to going to Google image search and finding Google image results and Bing image results. And and like you wouldn't go to Google image search to find image results from different competing image services. You would go to Google to find images from across the web, just like you'd go to Google shopping to find Google. Like you'd find shopping results from across the web. I don't think there's any like I guess the problem that they're having is that their sponsored results in Google shopping or is it the fact that Google is only advertising the product that Google wants to advertise? I think it's just, they're able, just they're picking and choosing what to show in, in a way that favors them and getting traffic to their sites or listings or whatever. Again, I don't have specific details. I don't think it's sponsored ads that they're showing. It's that when you search for, again, for blue jeans, they'll show eBay listings for blue jeans and they'll show, I don't know. I I don't even know what specific what other examples, companies there would be. Yeah, yeah, what other companies they advertise, but the EU feels that it's anti-competitive. Just like Amazon, if you search Amazon for something, you will get Amazon results for that thing. <laughs> you get big <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, but, the, it, it, it's a weird story. It, yeah, I think it's like it's. I think it's like. Well, Google has all this. They have a monopoly. They do. They have a monopoly on search, and they're being told, "Well, you need to do it to make it that you don't." But it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand capitalism enough to say, like, "Well, what's so bad about <laughs> monopoly?" But I don't. Know. What are your thoughts, Chris? Um, it seems like just just with this information, it seems for one, like Google is so ubiquitous, being the search engine. That it's it's almost I'm getting the impression that they feel like it's because it's so ubiquitous it needs to be fair, and that's yeah. um, Google. Google is the marketplace, and they're they're forgetting the fact that Google is a private company, and they are running a business too. Um, I think there might be a little bit of I don't know cognitive dissonance there about what Google actually is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, like I think it's what is it? it seems to be. Maybe it is a little bit about their advertising as well. Um, just taking a look at the story really quick. But yeah, like you yeah. know, people have they have search options. If they don't like Google, don't use it. Like there's or just go directly to you know other sites. Like I don't yeah. know. I can't think of something that you'd be searching for that you wouldn't know. Like I don't know. It's. I'd, I'd literally have to hear examples of what they're talking about. Yeah. So the, this European Commission uh, thing in, in this news story, which there'll be a link to um, if you go into the notes for this episode, there's a lot of might. Like Google might be doing this. Consumers might not see what they're looking for. Other yeah. comparison shoppings, shopping services might not be displayed. Uh, it, but there doesn't seem like there's a lot of actual evidence that this mm-hmm. is happening. And I've never seen any evidence of – like. The only things you can actually buy from Google are like their their devices and their other services, like their actual Nexus devices. Yeah, I I don't know what 
what the concern is other than the fact that Google has ads on it for specific products that they might be getting a small kickback for doing that. But there are lots of services that have that, like Amazon has its affiliate program where you can, if you buy, if you click a link to go to Amazon through some site that has it set up, they get a small amount of money from that product sale. It's just what, like, <laughs> see someone searching for headphones, they're going to search, you know, best headphones and they'll either look for an article that kind of s- describes them or they'll you know a sony page will pop up but you already know what sony is it's not like oh i didn't know they're an option like yeah i don't know if, like i don't know if it's just catering to the lowest common denominator that just clicks on the first ad they see and buys it like i don't understand yeah we'll have to see how this plays out for sure i i don't see it holding any water though my biggest thought is that google doesn't have or at least I've never seen, maybe they do. I've never seen an actual, like I've never bought a product through any Google shopping platform. Well, eBay is owned by Google. I, eBay. Is it? Okay, now we're, now we're doing this whole big, <laughs> I don't know who owns anybody. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure eBay is a Google company. I right. think so. Now, I could uh, be wrong. <laughs> Uh, it, it is it is obviously possible, but I uh, all I know is that it was I think that was Elon Musk again who founded it, or who was at least part founder. Oh, maybe. Oh no, maybe I'm thinking of eBay owning PayPal. Yeah, eBay and, and PayPal. I, I mean, their logos are similar. <laughs> okay, maybe scratch that. Maybe eBay <laughs> isn't Google. Scratch that off the record. <laughs> I'm just used to everything being owned by someone. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, uh, huh, that's weird. Um, yeah, I, it doesn't look like it's owned by Google. No. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry for misleading that's you. Okay. <laughs> uh, although I am seeing here that Kijiji is a subsidiary of eBay. Yeah, I think I was thinking of that too, that Kijiji was owned by eBay, but it's not Google owns all of that. And eBay is also a minority shareholder in Craigslist. This is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> My whole life is changing right now. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, on that very strange note, I think uh, I think we're good to wrap up for the week, Chris. I know you have to head out soon. Yeah, sorry about that. I have to run. No, oh, that's I have yeah, to that's run out and help my neighbor learn Japanese. Wow, <laughs> so uh, exciting. <laughs> Mike, I know you have a quick story here. Maybe we can talk about it in uh, the after show. Sure. We'll see you for the after show then. All right. Uh, so for now, we will uh, we'll wrap up and I'll say thanks again to everyone who listened to Future Chat. Um, I'd like to thank again Audible.com for helping support the podcast. Uh, if you visit audibletrial.com slash unwind, you can start a free day, uh, 30-day trial with a free audiobook from them uh, and help out our show. You uh, will be back again, of course, next week with more science and tech talk. Uh, And in the meantime, today, what I'm going to ask is if you have a few minutes, um, go and visit at Unwind Media on Twitter. uh, And from there, you'll be able to see all the stuff we post about this show, about uh, the other shows on Unwind Media. And uh, just go leave us a tweet. And uh, you can find past episodes of this show as well as... uh, Lots of other stuff like Mike's amazing Xiaomi, my band, me band review at uh, futurechat.me on the web. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> see you guys. See ya. All right, Mike. 
Um, you want to talk Cheryl's birthday? I, I, sure. I, I, I saw this on YouTube. Okay. Um, I saw one of the guys from Number File, but not on Number File, did a video about it. The James Grime. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did a video on his YouTube channel, uh, which I think is called Sing, Singing Banana. Okay. And then I saw Numberfile did a video. Uh, I think it was, what's his name? James Pomp something. Uh, also did a video. But may, why don't you tell me where you first saw this? Because I didn't. Uh... I actually saw this after the fact. It was posted after what by, fact? It was posted by BBC saying the internet went crazy over this. And I, it actually missed me because I. Again, it came. I think it came and went so fast, just like the dress thing. I heard about the dress <laughs> thing from you when you started tweeting, but I'm like, why is Rob tweeting about dresses? And then, <laughs> and then that's when I clicked the hashtag. I'm like, holy cow! There's like a billion of these tweets. Like, yeah. Um, but I guess this thing. I don't know if you've ever been in school. Pretty much, you always have those problem-solving questions where it's like, you know, Adam, Bob, and Chris. You know, A, B, and C. So this is a, a similar kind of setup where. A, uh, a class in this in Singapore, I believe it was. Yeah, they had a a question on whatever final exam that was taken a picture of, and put online for people to solve, I guess. And it was a logic based question. It wasn't you know number crunching or an equation or anything like that. It was purely logic and reason to kind of come up with the answer. Um, so we'll we'll post a link to the question on the on the notes where yeah where where did you find i guess you have a link here but yeah um like i only saw i saw no reference to this anywhere except youtube and youtube i saw two videos made about it because apparently it was on because i follow math channels (laughs) apparently it was on twitter and there's a whole there's a whole thing on it i don't know if there's a dedicated hashtag but it was probably like cheryl or something yeah um yeah it was it was big enough to make the, yeah, hashtag Cheryl's birthday. I think that's what the yeah. hashtag was. Um, and yeah, everyone was kind of taking a crack at figuring out the answer to the question. It's actually a really good. I, I actually hadn't really encountered a question like it before. It's fine. It's 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 it's, it's a Mensa type question where you have to kind of kind of eliminate options and kind of reason out and okay, well if it's not this then it could only be this but it can't be that so it has to be this kind of thing like it's it's good to work through i recommend everyone kind of work through it and see how far you can get and kind of see what your answer would be i came up with the answer but i think my reasoning was actually off i think i just lucked upon i came, i brought it down to a, two options yeah. and i picked the one that was right but i think my reasoning for it wasn't right after reading one of the worked out answers, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes actually makes more sense than what I came up with. <laughs> but so my I had almost the exact opposite experience. I used like reflecting on it afterwards. I used the exact right logic and came to the opposite conclusion. <laughs> how how did that work? I I looked at it and they, like there's a whole uh, people should probably go and. Yeah, you have like to look at, at it yourself. Look at the problem before yeah. ha- listening to this discussion. But uh, so there's one guy who has a piece of in- like you're trying to figure out when when this person's birthday is, and you have a list of days that it could be. And this girl Cheryl gives one piece of information to one guy the month. The, the month, yeah, the month, yeah. And gives the other guy the date, and so the, together they have a conversation trying to figure out what the birthday is, but without telling the other person. Like they're trying to be smarter than the other person. Yeah. And. Uh, so there's a couple of like it seems to me that it's fairly obvious you have a couple of uh unique dates 
yeah. like numbered dates in the month and you, they're from there you can get to a unique month that only yeah. has a certain day but yeah i just went backwards i i reversed the logic that you should have used i guess i i'm still kind of not i still wasn't convinced about the explanation um i i had to convince myself like work on it a little bit before yeah. i was convinced but it 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 convinced me the the wording of the question is to me at least on second and third reading and hearing the explanation is totally ambiguous there's <laughs> there's no i don't think there's a single reading of of these guys statements to each other in the question i think you can read it in a number of different ways and that was one of the things they said the the video that i saw from james grime was basically saying there are a few different interpretations of of one of the statements and it could lead you to this answer or this answer or this oh. answer but i didn't have any of those answers because my logic went the exact opposite way my interpretation of the first statement was different so my Initially, all the ones that he went, okay, so after this first statement, we have this one, this one, and this one as possibilities. I had the, like, I had ruled out those specific ones and ha only had the other ones left in my mind as possible answers. Oh, weird. Like, it went backwards and I, yeah. Hmm. So to and me, there were multiple. you don't know why that happened? Like? Not specifically. I mean, I have a couple of ideas why it happened like I, I look through and i can see it the other way but my interpretation was like i guess similar to the dress my interpretation was different hmm. and so i can reason the other way yeah but after reading yeah. the question issue like for additional context the discussion between the two people it was only one statement to each like of each to the other person so the one guy yeah. said i don't know what i don't know the birthday but i also know that Charles know. doesn't know the birthday or I don't, yeah. can't remember the names, but I know that the other person doesn't know what the birthday is. Then that person said, at first I didn't know, but now I know. Mm -hmm. So just on that literally one piece of information, he was able to figure out the birthday. And then after he said, oh, now I know the, uh, the first guy said, okay, now I know too. Yeah. That was the only conversation. I was like, how is that even possible? That makes no sense. <laughs> then I started looking at the dates. I'm like, oh yeah, there's some of these numbers that only occur in this month and some months that only have these numbers and, I could see how it works and then I worked through it and I kind of came up with the answer, but it's, I don't know. It was, it was fun to kind of do that type of problem. Cause you know, in, you know, in work, you don't really encounter just problems for the sake of solving them a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah. So it was, it was fun to kind of work through that. <laughs> yeah. It was a, uh, it was an interesting problem occupied part of a morning yeah. for me, but yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll let our listeners look at the question and solve for themselves unless they already have. Um, but the joke, the joke kind of going on the tour was like, wow, Cheryl seems like a bad friend. Why doesn't she sell them her their birthday? And oh, it's like, and then it's like, people like, oh, Cheryl going up to them. Why didn't you get me anything for my birthday? And then it's like, oh, well, you could have just told us it was this day. Like, yeah. I don't know. It was, they were kind of making a whole storyline about it. So people okay. had fun with it. But yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It was, I always get entertained by those kind of flash in the pan internet phenomena that come and go and you never hear about them again. But right. I don't know. It was something that came across and thought it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely, it's interesting. And I normally, I only saw it because I only saw it on YouTube and I didn't see it on Twitter. I went, mm -hmm. I went and watched the video. If I had seen a whole big thing about Cheryl's birthday and this math problem on Twitter, I yeah. probably would have been like, all right, I can ignore this. This is going to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and having, having looked at it, I now think that. Right. Like I, I don't care. I didn't, I watched the first video because it was the first thing I had seen about it. But I didn't 
watch any subsequent stuff. Like I, a lot of viral stuff, I don't like. Some stuff, like very rarely, I do like it, but most times, I just I'm like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. I I really don't need to see this. Like I'd rather just do almost anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, are you good for the week? Is there anything else you want to talk about in the after show? Uh, I don't know. I think that's good. Did, did we talk about Future Shop and Best Buy? The Future no. Shop part closing? No. I think that happened over so. our hiatus. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I think just when I, we were talking about the Google owning everything, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I guess Best Buy and Future Shop. Because I guess Best Buy had bought Future Shop however many years ago. Yeah, way so back when. In my, yeah, a long time ago. So, for my youth and awareness of it, they've always been the same company yeah. in, in my mind, anyway. And just recently, uh, I think Future Shop only ever existed in Canada. Yep. Um, so, Best Buy now has decided to either close all the stores or convert the existing ones to Best Buy. So they're basically getting rid of the Future Shop brand. Yeah. Um, now, there's varied reaction on the internet. A lot of people were like, well, who cares? Because they've always been the same company. And some were like, oh, Best Buy was better anyway. <laughs> so I think there's less of an uproar than the Target closures that people... Because right. like in Calgary, at least, you'd go to like a mall or just a commercial area. And there'd be like a Future Shop here and a Best Buy like... Across the street. Literally like, right beside literally it. Literally across the street. Yeah. And it <laughs> and always was that way. Or yeah. Like 90% of the time. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, we're like, why is this happening? So I think people kind of expected this to happen. Yeah. So, I expected it a lot earlier. Yeah. To be honest. But from what I've read, people showed up on a Monday and there's a sign saying this store has been closed. Right. Like people, and then they were given their severance, obviously. But yeah. that's kind of how they went about it. And I think maybe... Like it helps it's different than the target thing because they're literally able to just move all that stock to the best buy yeah, yeah. distribution like they're not losing any money because it's just taking the actual brick and mortar stores away, but I guess people are kind of like, oh well, they shouldn't have handled that way, but it's like well, it's a lose lose situation you're like let laying people off it's like would you rather give them a month to like know they're getting getting their jobs lost or yeah. just pay the severance and let I them. think the severance would be better, yeah. For sure, and then you out have of time the two options, actually, yeah, yeah, then you have, have to work. Actually, yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess that was the only other thing that came to mind. But. Yeah, my uh, we had a future shop close the one that's like a five minute drive from our house closed about two months ago, three months ago maybe. But time is not a fixed thing for me anymore. It like <laughs> speeds up and slows down at will. Yeah, but uh, so I kind of saw this coming. Yeah. When I saw this, like their lease ended and Future Shop just like, they again, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to be closed. So like you can buy stuff today, but that's it. <laughs> and uh, and then it was just gone. Yeah. And so it, it sort of seemed like if they weren't doing that with all the Future Shops, it would be strange Yeah. to, to just let that lease end. And. Best Buy was saying that any future shop related gift cards or products or exchanges or whatever will still be honored oh, that's at cool. Best Buy. Yeah. So you're you're essentially just going to a different store now. Like, right. But yeah. all your services, all your warranties, everything will be covered by Best Buy. Yeah. Because it literally has always been the same company. So yeah. they're just branding it all as Best Buy. You, so. you probably, I mean, process wise, that probably could have been the case then. It would have been like a technicality. They'd be like, no. No, you have to go to an actual 
yeah. Best Buy, you can't go, to, you can't return this to Future Shop because we're technically not the same, but they probably yeah. could have done it. Yeah. And like they never even price matched with each other. Like I've, I'd gone in to a Best Buy before and like Future Shop has it for 10 bucks cheaper. Like, well, we don't price match with them because <laughs> they're the same store. So <laughs> it's like yeah. the illusion of com- competition right. for those that didn't already know they were owned by the same company. So yeah. I had someone, uh, I guess it was right after the news, so it was a couple weeks ago, say that they thought that Best Buy was the one on uh, commission. And so they were like, they would always go to Feature Shop because that was the one where there was a low-pressure sales. And we're like, no, it's the other way around. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's funny. They actually found that the commission one was lower pressure. Yeah, yeah. Or at least they felt it was. Maybe the Best Buy were just too eager to help for free. Yeah. (laughs) But I never, I never experienced any sort of pressured sales tactics at Future no. Shop. I never even really had anyone approach me that often. But see, like I think, but you and I, I think, are an exception because we'll go in and we'll start asking questions or whatever, and yeah. they'll just like read off the box. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I could have done that. I, I in fact did. <laughs> I do did that. do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I already know more than you about this, and now it's clear to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Can I interest you in some HDMI cables? <laughs> <laughs> They're gold-plated. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. You, can get, you can get a gold-plated HDMI cable for 10 bucks. You don't yeah. have to spend like 40 bucks on it. 